Hi, all. Episode 9 of Season 3 explores multiple sclerosis through the eyes of our guest, Diane DJ Dingading Balaganas. We're going to understand what living life through MS entails and how she uses her warrior strength to really go through the ins and outs of living a life with MS through creative means. I hope that you all enjoy this episode. Maayang Atla, welcome back to Season 3 of Philippine X in Wellness. I am your host, Cheryl Sampson Ramirez. Following our last episode on substance use disorder and recovery with Cheryl Cambay, Colleen Capistrano, and Russell Ramirez, we'll be ending 2023 with MS Warrior, former dancer and hopeful DJ, Diane Dengadeng Palaganas. As mentioned in previous episodes, all views discussed are for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare practitioner for your particular condition, especially before starting any exercise or new health program. For this episode, I'd like to welcome our guest, Diane DJ Denga Ding Palagana. Welcome to the podcast, Denga. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here to share my story. So thank you. Oh, thank you. We're honored to have you on as well. Our MO for starting our interviews is what every Filipino or Filipinex individual asks the moment they discover your kababayan. Where are both sides of your family from in the Philippines and where are you currently streaming from? Both of my parents are from Pangasinan. I was born in Los Angeles and currently streaming from Long Beach, California. Sweet. Now let's dive in uh, to our the title of our episode, Life of an MS Warrior. For those of us who aren't unfamiliar with MS, what does it stand for and what does this condition look like across all of its stages? So MS stands for multiple sclerosis. It's a neurological disease of the central nervous system. Um, it's when immune cells attack the, the myelin sheath of nerves and it disrupts the flow from the brain to the body. And it's different from each individual. Each individual has lesions in different places in the brain and in the spinal cord. So everyone who has MS looks a little bit different. It's very unique in that way. And uh, there's four types of MS. There's relapsing remitting, where where symptoms come and go. It's kind of like a roller coaster. Like sometimes symptoms get bad, and then they get better, and they get bad. It's on and off. Okay. And then there's also progressive uh-huh. MS. It's secondary progressive, where you don't really get new lesions anymore. It's just a steady decline of the disability. Okay. And what what form of MS do you have? Right now, I have relapsing remitting. Mm-hmm. I haven't had any new lesions in the past maybe four years with the medication that I'm on. But I have noticed a decline in my mobility. So it's it's a gray area of trying to 
figure out if I'm going to progressive or or if I'm still in relapsing. Okay. Yeah. For right now, it's relapsing. Okay. So do you go through all of the stages in a particular order or? Um, I think usually, usually maybe I'm assuming like 80% of people that do get diagnosed, it's relapsing remitting first because Mm -hmm. they get like an onset of symptoms that are out of the ordinary and then they get better. So it's usually going through that first stage of relapsing remitting and then uh-huh. sometimes uh, medications work and then they stay in relapsing remitting and then sometimes the disease might be strong and it's just a steady decline. There's no cure so um, it's always and you know everyone's different so it's always uh, different based on every person and situation. So the time frames can also vary. Yeah. For the stages. Okay. Now, what's the demographic from what you know of those living with MS? Um, Let's start with, like, how does it look like across a gender identification, race, ethnicity, age groups? So uh, when I looked at the National MS Society website, they said MS occurs in most ethnic groups, including African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanic in the U.S., but it's most common among white people of Northern European descent. Mm-hmm. From my experience, that's visible. I usually see women uh, more prominent in women. Okay, it's very rare that I see Asians or even Filipinos. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's it's it it's probably because. Maybe they haven't come out with their diagnosis. I know when I was first diagnosed, I didn't tell anybody for a whole year. And I don't know if that's something that has to do with shame or or something in that matter. But I'm wondering if there are more Filipinos or Asians that are diagnosed that haven't come out with the, their diagnosis yet. And probably affecting the data. Yeah. Mm. Is there an average age of onset from what you know of? Um, I believe uh, most people get diagnosed between 20 to 50 years old. I was diagnosed when I was 28. So I think that's about the average age range. Mm. Okay. And how did you discover that you personally had MS? What was there an event maybe or... Uh, were there symptoms? What did that look like for you? It's, I think before I can share that particular moment, I would sure. I'd, I'd share my backstory of what I was doing before. Okay. To pinpoint that point. So um, my whole life, I wanted to be a dancer. It's, uh, growing up, my mom listened to hip hop and R&B. It's like, 80s 90s that she'd always make us dance um, in our living room so dancing has always been a part of my life and I've always wanted to be a dancer pursue dancing I I was in drill team throughout grade school and then I went to UCLA studied the dance major there I joined many 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 dance teams also Samahang Modern at UCLA 
after college, I joined VersaStyle. Actually, during college, I joined VersaStyle Dance Company in Culture Shock, LA. And um, I knew at that time I wanted to be to be touring and dancing with um, singer, singers and and being in TV, right? I think yeah. after college, I joining these dance companies, I wanted to explore more of putting on shows and putting on events. And I was able to do that. I was learning more about hip hop culture. And I was also learning about teaching youth and reach and doing outreach and teaching kids. And, and at that time I was trying to learn and dance as much as I could to be the best performer, dancer, creator I could be. And that was like working all day, every day, trying to consume as much. And, and I think during the time there was a, highlight of my life where I was dancing all the time. I was I was directing Culture Shock. I was full time with Versus Style and also teaching at different schools around LA. Mm-hmm. At that high point I noticed uh tremoring in my legs. That was mm-hmm. the first thing that kind of caught me off guard because I'm pretty in tune with my body being a dancer and it was something that was kind of weird to me and at that time I I didn't have insurance so as a performing artist it's it's not uh uncommon to not have health insurance so like wherever whatever doctor I went to I had to be strategic in trying to uh get the care that I needed because I didn't have a lot of money to pay for it. So at that time when I had the tremoring in my legs, I saw a chiropractor first, thinking it was a pinched nerve maybe, maybe that would make it better. And it and then I started to notice my my feet, my foot, my right foot start to drag. And uh it was weird. I saw my primary care doctor and he was like, oh, you're just getting old. And I'm like, that's kind of odd because I was ageist. Yeah. Yeah. And I was 20. I was probably 25, 26 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was weird. So, of course, I went. To, I had to go elsewhere to get another opinion. And I had an uh, one doctor told me to get an MRI on my knee and they found tendinitis which is like inflammation in the knee. And so we did therapy on it. And once my knee started to get better, my ankle started to hurt. And then I had to see another set of doctors for my knee, uh, my ankle. And then when I did treatment on my ankle, my hips started to hurt. So it was bouncing around in different places and I didn't know what was going on. I was treating secondary aches when there was like an underlying thing going on that I didn't know of. And it it went on for maybe three years, just jumping around from doctor to doctor, getting a bunch of MRIs, getting second, third opinions until maybe my second neurologist that I 
I found, decided to do MRI on my brain and my spinal cord. And that's when they found lesions. And then they diagnosed me with MS. Whew. That's all. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it sounds like it was a bit, it was a journey. I mean, three-year journey and a lot of getting, seeing specialists, trying to figure it out. Were you exploring various forms of dance at the time? Or were you mainly concentrating in hip-hop? I was doing mostly hip-hop at the time. Mm -hmm. And with hip-hop, there's um, different dance styles. So I, I, I loved hip-hop. At the time, I was trying to dive into all of the elements, a little bit of graffiti art and a little bit of DJing. Um, of course, dance and I incorporated that into my teaching. I think once I started to feel my MS symptoms, I had to stop performing and dancing and directing, mostly focusing on teaching because that was uh, making the income for me to see my doctors. So when I was going through that time, I had to stop altogether dancing and just focus. It was like, um, trying to sur survival mode, try to, uh, put my energy into trying to make money while trying to figure out what's going on with my body and trying mm -hmm. to stay sane throughout, through it all. Mm -hmm. And you, you were doing a lot. It sounds like you were, um, in two dance companies, you're directing and teaching were you also driving around all over the place during these times? I, I at that time I was not driving. I for, I had some. I, I'm thinking, I had I was I didn't have a car at the time, so I was doing public transportation everywhere I was going, mm -hmm. which is like added on stress to what I was going through, and. I, I honest, honestly, I don't remember why I didn't have a car at the time. It might have been, oh, I don't remember. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, it's been a long time. But then I do vividly remember public transportation during that time. It might have been like three years or mm -hmm. two years or something. Mm. So you got the news from the neurologist. Uh, what was that like for you when you received the news or your initial feelings around it? Uh, my initial reaction was sadness. I cried. I didn't know what MS was at the time. And I I cried because I didn't know. And then I went home and WebMD'd what it was and... And I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to end up in a wheelchair and didn't know what to expect. I honestly, I thought of, I thought of all my hopes and dreams as a dancer come crashing down and then, and then thinking like, oh my gosh, it's unknown territory. I did. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. So it was a lot of confusion and sadness and darkness. <laughs> it sounds overwhelming. When you think back on it, um, what do you think might have caused 
caused it? I, I, from my experience and my research, I feel in my, in my own experience, I feel like it was probably stress related and the environment that I put myself in. I think because during that time I was under a lot of stress and I felt like my body was in fight or flight mode all the time and I didn't know when to stop. So I think that's probably what sparked this autoimmune response of like attacking myself because it's trying to figure out what the stress is and what how to fix it and that's what I'm assuming. That's what, I don't think it's genetic because nobody in my family has MS. And I don't think it's like the life, the like what I'm eating or anything like that that contributed. I think it's the stress factor and environment that that was part of probably what onset the MS. And we're specialists were on the same page of probably of explaining the causes. Um, no, I feel as much as they know, there's a lot of things that they don't know. And like, mm-hmm. it's, there's, it's very different from person to person. So, um, I don't think, I mean, they could give like generalizations of what, what they think it might come from, but from my own body and what I think, that's what I believe it came from. So who did you tell next? You found out the news. Who did you tell next and what was their response like? The first person I told was my boyfriend at the time and now husband, Michael Lore. He was um he was by my he was by my side since the very beginning we danced together we taught together we were living together and he was he is my best friend and he was the first person that I could think of to tell to be openly honest and be like oh be vulnerable with this and then my mom came second What was it like explaining it to them and what was their response? Um, well, they were probably in the same boat as I was when I first heard the news. They WebMD Googled what it was. And then um, with my mom, my mom has been, she's been there she's she's very supportive and she during the beginning she was there for all of my appointments to be there to learn with me to ask questions with me because sometimes she works in uh in the medical field too with uh, at the at ucla with doctors so she kind of knows mm. a little bit more about the medical stuff than i do or the mm-hmm. questions to ask mm-hmm. so it was great having her there to support but we were all on the same page just learning about this unknown disease that we've never heard of or don't know anybody that has it. It wasn't like, oh, I, I know a person that has MS. You should go talk to this person and ask them 
questions about what you're thinking. It was like, we're in this together and we're learning together as much as we can. What kinds of shifts did you have to make right after you found out that you had your condition? So at the time I was teaching, I founded a dance program at Kip Illuminar Academy. I was Mm -hmm. teaching dance there um, to 20 classes every day. And that's when, uh, yeah, each class had like 30 kids. So it at that time when I was going through the the initial changes, uh, I told my boss too, and she was very supportive. She she got me a teacher's aid to like help do like the physical part while while I was still able to teach, and she made it very accommodating for me. I'm still shocked that you taught twenty classes a day. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> In, a, in an eight-hour day, how do you teach 20 classes in an eight-hour an day? Oh, each class was maybe 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was okay. great. I, I loved it. But it did take up a lot of energy. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I had help in that way. And so I, I had to, like, choose to step back from it. I mean... I could have, I could have co-taught, but then I felt like I had to kind of let go, let go of this job and like focus on my health and figure out how to be my best self before I can do any job where I can teach and share and share my gift or create. So I think health was uh, my top priority at the time. Okay, so you stopped teaching, and then what happened after? So uh, were you still with the dance companies, or? It was it was that at that time where I stopped. I stopped dancing, and I stopped teaching. And I, there were times where I tried to dance. Like, maybe I could still find a way to move, or maybe just move slower. And mm-hmm. I didn't like it. I didn't like, oh, my my leg would, sp- my muscles would spasm. I would have poor balance. And mm-hmm. it was just frustrating. Like, my husband was trying to do, like, easy movement, like, easy stuff to just to keep uh, me moving. And, like, even, like, doing little jokes was so hard and it was so frustrating. And I just... I just stopped altogether because it was making making me sad. And I think that was a time where um, I had a, a I had to do a lot of inner work for myself. I actually got into yoga because it was still a way for me to like still move, but check in and see what's going on with my body. And I love how I'm able to not have uh, and with, with dance is always performative I feel like it's always informing and you're trying to communicate something outward to another person with yoga it's all inner work you like you being in touch with yourself and your mind I think that's why I loved it so much and I think that's where I transitioned to after I stopped dancing and then mm. and then I had my controller that I was using 
to uh, teach my kids. When I was teaching dance with them, I, ta I taught them about all the elements of hip hop. And I brought, I bought a little controller that I didn't know anything about DJ, but I was like, oh, we can play with it. And then after I stopped dancing, I kind of looked to DJ to see if that was a way I could still be creative without being depressed with dancing and jumping around. That must have shifted a lot, even your social circles. Um, I think I I think I retreated from everybody. Yeah, I being pushed to stop dancing and being around like all my friends that do dance. It was difficult, and for myself, not dancing, it was difficult to be around that environment when there was a lot of dark feelings going on with my relationship with dance. So. Yeah, I was always retreating to myself or not going out and not sharing. I, and at that time, I didn't share my diagnosis yet. So I didn't even want to do anything or go anywhere or share. Because it was always the expectation, oh, are you still dancing? Oh, are you not teaching? What's going on? Heard a thing. Yeah. How did you maintain your livelihood after you stopped teaching? I I taught um, VIP kids. I taught English to kids in China. So when mm. it was it was great because I was able to teach. The only thing that was tough was the time change because my work days would be from one a.m. to five a.m. Oh wow! And then, yeah, and then and then during the day it's like resting or appointments and then sleeping at six o'clock to wake up uh -huh. again at 12 a.m. Wow. So your whole schedule flipped pretty much. <laughs> so tell us what it's like living with MS. What does a good day look like for you and what might a challenging day look like? Um. So so for me right now, I usually start my day. I have to plan out my day. So I have a planner and I plan out what I'm, what big things I have to do throughout the day. And something that my PT told me about was like, like I have like a dollar of energy to spend throughout the day. So if I can spend a little bit Throughout the day, by the end of the day, I'll probably have zero, but it'll last throughout the whole day. And I don't want to spend all of my money before 12 o'clock. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. But that's, I, that's how I kind of have to think of my energy when I go day by day. It's like, okay, I have to make sure I have enough energy to get me through the day. And then um, I usually start off my day with a workout just to get my body moving and then I'll go through my whatever appointments I have with if it's other PTs or acupuncture or chiropractor and then and then the rest of the day it's like doing work around the house or helping my husband and then and then adding um, a DJ session at the end and I usually I usually 
gauge my good days is if I'm able to walk, walk and move without any pain and with energy at a at a good steady pace. A bad mm-hmm. day would be my whole body is stiff. I can't, I can't, I'm like, like my body feels like a thousand pounds and I can't move and walking, even walking in my house is difficult. It's like I'm carrying like loads, loads of 500 pounds on each leg. It's, those are the bad mm-hmm. days. And then I'm not able to go through my schedule. And then I get sad and like I have to take a nap because I'm so fatigued from trying to drag my body around and then and then it's like oh it spirals it's like oh I didn't get to do this and then I get mad at myself so that's like a bad day when all of my symptoms are like heavy duty and then the good days are like oh I'm able to get a good workout I'm still having trouble walking but I'm still able to do everything I had planned on my planner and then when the pain sets into your body uh, from a 1 to 10 scale, 10 being really high, 1 being low, how intense is it? Um, it can get as high as 8 or 9. And usually it's around 6 or 7. It never gets below 4. Mm-hmm. And it, it, is it like a throbbing pain? Is it a sharp pain? It's... Sometimes at different parts of my body, it's a different kind of pain. So my back, my back, it's like aching, aching pain. And then throughout my leg, it's like stiffness, heaviness. And even uh, since the core that I feel when I walk is in my my core and my back, it, if that's in pain, everything else is in pain. So I hope, I hope I can explain it. <laughs> where you got it translate yeah. right but that's how it feels and so your entire body is in in pain all at once yeah yeah mm. and it sometimes it's not pain it's stiffness or sometimes it's I guess it would be like numbness like sometimes my hip flexors turn off and it won't like lift up my legs so that's why it's like dragging all the time. Or sometimes my quads are on. It's like, it's like, and your muscle, there's like a point where it contracts and then relaxes, contracts and relaxes. And then mm-hmm. sometimes it's just on all the time and there's like no relaxing. Unless mm-hmm. I have to like stop and like breathe, kind of have to do like, just sit and not do anything or take muscle relaxers but then muscle relaxers make me sleepy so I don't try to do that all the time but sometimes my body needs it but it's always it's always so uh, mysterious and unpredictable because it changes all the time like sometimes I can walk normally just fine and then some some moments it's like I'm fighting myself just to walk a few steps. And have you noticed the changes mainly physically or have you noticed any other changes neurologically or? Um, go ahead. Most of my symptoms are physical. Um, I think my, the lesions on my spinal cord contribute to the 
the physical things that I feel. It's a lot of spasms. Um, I think I have a few, a few in my brain, but I know there's some other MSers that deal with optic neuritis so that they can't see in one side. I don't think I've had any of those types of um, experiences. It's been mostly physical, mobility-wise. Got it. Okay, Dinga. I think we're at the first half. So thank you for joining us for our ninth episode of Season 3. I'm talking with guest Diane DJ Dinga Ding Palaganas. Feel free to take a quick stretch, refill your water or tea. We'll be right back after this quick break. Praying on my downfall, but I'll never give up A thousand cuts won't be enough to keep my fists in these cuffs uh. And I'm never breaking down when the odds against me Brown gold, gold crown with the gods within me, yeah I was the flower that bloomed in the dark room Flows like monsoons from the womb When I write move runes and resume my crew to last soon Pray too many moons on my wounds would not bloom Where we from? Death proof, so we hum with these tunes And hope it sparks light like a night in mid-June My heart's consumed by hate here It's harder when you live fear How can you See you in the mirror, uh, I lost too many tears You seem to disappear But they living through these words that I'm putting here So tell me you'll remember me I'm here to build a legacy I got the ground moving under me A thousand cuts ain't never stopping me And I swear I'm never giving up Who I am or why I'm standing up And I ain't ever need no ounce of luck To understand myself cause that's enough Yeah that's enough Welcome back to Philippine Extant Wellness. You were just listening to the first part of Ruby Ibarra's single, A Thousand Cuts, featuring Anne One, released in 2020. Ruby Ibarra is a rapper, director, and spoken word artist from the Bay Area, California, who released her debut album Circa 91 at the end of 2017 and has co-founded the Pinai's Rising Scholarship Program. Ruby's music is available on all digital platforms, 
and can be heard in several museum exhibits, films, and television features. Shout out to all our Philippinex artists and musicians out there laying down the tracks. Returning from our break, I'm talking with Diane Dengadeng Palaganas about living the life of an MS warrior. I adopted this title from your Instagram profile, Denga. So tell us, what does it mean to live a life of an MS warrior? What does that look like for you? Um, I think, well, living with MS feels like a fight every day. It feels like I'm fighting, I'm fighting this disease every day. And I always, in my mind, I always think of, uh, like motivational videos that have like those athletes that train every day, they work hard every day. And it's always either preparing, fighting a battle or preparing to fight a battle. So I always come with that mentality of, you know, moving, like continuing to move, to stay strong, to be, to have a great positive mindset, a strong mindset being tough because there's times where MS feels like it'll throw a lot of different things, challenges at you. And it's always, you have to be ready to, to fight. To be honest, that's what it feels like all the time. And, uh, yeah, that's what it is. And in your bio, you mentioned that you're a former dancer turned hopeful DJ. So tell us about your transition from being a dancer into being a DJ. So when I was diagnosed with MS, I stopped dancing. And I turned to DJing because it was a way for me to work with music where I didn't have to jump around or stress put stress on my body. I found... Uh, a class at Scratch DJ Academy. They were doing this accelerated program, their whole full curriculum in three months. And I was like, oh, I should just do that and learn as much as I can about DJing and then, and then see what happens there. So I took my first like intro class and I loved, I fell in love with it. I loved that that I was able to listen to music in a different way because when I stopped dancing, when all my muscles were spasming and I I hated music. I hated music at the time because it made me depressed because I wasn't able to express myself in the way that I wanted to. And I was being taught with DJing a different way to express myself that my body could handle. and. I loved it. It was it was a way for me to create and learn and that got me excited because it brought hope like, oh, maybe I could do this instead. And I think that's where it grew. And then I get to do it everywhere. I I've I don't expect to be like playing at the clubs and doing like making a, a really grand career out of it but I do hope to to be able to do meaningful events or 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 hopefully create something that that would be 
how my that would kind of reflect how my dance career was in like DJ four. I mean, that's pretty cool that you were able to channel your creativity into a, a different element of hip hop. Yeah. And still find a way to connect and love the music. Yeah. It's it's interesting because I had to start back at ground zero of like learning foundations and being able to train uh, my body, the muscle memory of like my hands and listening to music. It's it's great. But I feel like it's good because it sparks new neural pathways in my body and it keeps my brain sharp with uh, MS. So I feel like it came into my life at the right time. What kind of music do you spend when you're DJing? Oh, I, of course I love hip hop, but I love, I love funk music. I love, love, love funk music. And I love being able to fuse like hip hop and funk music. Anything that makes me want to dance or it feels like dancing and funky that's like my favorite i think cool yeah <laughs> what does treatment look like for multiple sclerosis so with ms they have there's no cure so they have disease modifying treatments that help slow the progression and i keep forgetting if there's there's maybe like over 16 different types and um it for every MSer, it's different it's kind of like trial and error you have to see try one and see if it works for you works in a way where you don't get any more new lesions and if you do they switch medication so it's always trying to figure out which one works best with your body um the one that I'm on right now is Ocavis which is an infusion every six months and um yeah so there's there's this is probably the third or fourth medication that i've tried and on paper i haven't had any new lesions but my mobility is getting worse so it's always i always have to rely on other therapies to manage the physical symptoms so i try acupuncture and chiropractic work um and then I do physical therapy I think I think exercise is probably the best uh therapy to counteract all of the physical um problems that I have and are there any side effects to the medication or the infusions or the medications that you've been on um there are site reactions that I've experienced. Um, I think depression might be, it's always hard to see if, if, to say if it's tied to the medication, but, or if it's due to MS, but I do notice a depression um, once in a while. I think those are the main the main side effects so mostly sight reactions or uh water retention what do you mean by um sight reaction like if if they if you get a shot it's like if 
in the area. It flares up. Yeah. The site. Got it. The site of where you shoot yourself. I know um, on, I have my first medication was Copaxin and you have to inject yourself three times a week. Three okay. times a week. And those I had different kinds of reactions. Like, uh, yeah, like my, I would get like ball size uh, plumps of <laughs> Oh, from the site from where I injected. Or like your body will flush. It'll get really red or you'll feel like hot flashes. Um, it depends on what medication you're on. And to your knowledge, is there any medication or therapy out there to help slow down the progression? Um, all of the, there's, yeah, like there's 16 of them that are supposed to to slow the progression. Mm-hmm. Any any that um, you're aware of or that you're currently taking? I I took o- Ocrevus. I mean, uh-huh. no, I'm taking Ocrevus. That's the fusion that I do every six months. That's the one I've been on for four years. And I haven't had any new lesions. So that's, that's what's great about that one. The first one I had was Copaxin. And that's probably the safest medication out of all of the other ones. But I, it didn't work with my body. I kept getting new lesions with that one, so I had to switch. When you're saying lesions, are you referring to lesions externally or internally within your body? Internally. So with MS, there's you have immune cells that attack nerves. The myelin sheath around the nerves, it attacks it and it it damages. So that's the nerve damage. And then it kind of like scabs over. It causes like a lesion. This mm-hmm. is from what I've learned. And then that's what prohibits like the messages from traveling, traveling, flowing through. Uh-huh. So <laughs> did, I wanted to ask you, did you have to make any dietary sh- changes? Um, I didn't, I tried different dietary changes. I tried, I I think when I first was diagnosed, I tried, I tried raw, raw vegan to like clean out my system, but it's not sustainable. It was like really hard to do. And then there's like different protocols. Like they, there's this, uh, walls protocol that's very popular with MSers and it's it's kind of like keto, but it's a little bit more um, sustainable. Like I could do that every day. And um, I think for myself, just because I'm not able to do a lot of active stuff, I don't want to eat a lot of like heavy, like heavy meats or a lot of heavy protein because I'm not able to like work it out as I would if I was a healthy person. So I currently am doing keto. I don't, uh, it's like low carb. I don't eat a lot of rice, although I miss it a lot. Um, I've I've, uh, pulled back on that. And I'm also, I did cut off alcohol. Yeah, it's been interesting. And I, I, I noticed when I did drink alcohol, like it would it would be harder to walk. 
and then I I figured that would be like the best thing to do would be to cut it off because I'm able to be more in control of my body and this is healthier for me so that's what I'm on right now it's hard for to walk for anyone that drinks alcohol right <laughs> yeah what advice would you give to members of our community who may know a loved one who was recently diagnosed with MS? How can we best support other MS warriors out there? And maybe you can talk to even how your those that are close to you have been supporting you. I think I think for myself, what helps is to ask questions. I think communication is a big thing because sometimes when you see someone let's say like someone like myself that's limping or like struggling to walk maybe you might not want to ask them or or ask them what's wrong or or maybe you just ignore it and some people might ignore it and just be like pretend everything's okay but for me i i love I love questions. I love when you're curious and you ask me like, oh, what happened to your leg? Oh, and then I can tell you more about the about MS. And it kind of makes me feel seen when you ask questions. And and I know for myself, like my automatic default is like, oh, how are you? I'm okay. But when you when you dig deeper or you, you ask like, oh, how how are your symptoms today or how are you having a good day? Like when I can tell you more about it than my automatic like default. And I know with every MSR is different. Some people don't want to talk about it because they think it's draining, like it's draining for them to having to talk about it all the time. But for me, I'm I I love to share and I love to be open about and be transparent about what I'm going through, as opposed to ignoring it and like um letting me deal with it internally or trying to make it seem like I'm okay when I'm not okay sometimes you mentioned that your mom has been going with you to medical appointments how and you you're also married so what are some other uh ways that they've been supporting you and for um you know those people those of us in the community that are trying to find other ways to help a loved one possibly with MS what are ways that we can be helpful right so my husband he helped tremendously in ways where if I need to cry he's there to like listen or or to comfort me I think that's a big thing because it's always it's always us trying to be strong all the time or trying to do what we need to do. But then some days it's like really tough to stay strong at that moment. And then you just break down to have someone there to like, comfort you and help you look at the positive things. Um, he's been really helpful in that way. And um, I mean, I could go on and on about how he's been supportive. I'm so grateful to have someone like him that's very positive and um comforting i love how like whatever he's always he's always 
wanting me to do things that make me happy. So like whatever DJ stuff that I want to do, he's always there to push me to do it. Sometimes I'll go through things where like, I don't know if I can do it. It's going to be like four hours. My body might not be able to do it. I'm, maybe I'm not good enough. He, he'll always re- remind me of like, I'm still capable of doing great things. Just that other side, when MS is like trying to like bring me down, he's always the light to like share and bring me up for for my parents they've they've been supportive my whole life i i think this is just another um phase of my life that they can still um be the loving parents and um they 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 always they always ask if i if they if they need if i need them to come over if I'm feeling sad, they'll always like try to make the drive out or they'll they'll take me out to eat or bring me groceries if I'm not able to like go grocery shopping. So I really appreciate them for being great parents. I feel so lucky to to have such a great support system. I know a lot of people aren't able to have that support system, but I feel like I'm very blessed and not just um, with my my husband and my parents, my family, but my my friends and my uh, my MS community that are always like cheering me on. I I choose to be transparent on social media uh, because it is hard, and sometimes um, moral support goes a long way to like keep your spirits up and to to help you keep fighting every day. I know you DJ out a lot of MS events or are they fundraisers? So what kinds of things does the community do to gather and to I guess raise awareness? Uh the the one event that I that I've had a great um relationship with is MS Walk. So I've mm. done the MS Walk in Long Beach. I remember when I first started DJing, or when I graduated Scratch DJ, and then I was doing the MS Walk, and then my my teacher, uh, DJ Hoppe, was like, why don't you DJ at the MS Walk? And I was like, whoa, this is the MS Walk. And I'm like, I just started DJing. Like, how am I going to be able to DJ the MS Walk? And then so, but I wasn't opposed to it. So I was like, okay, he was like, I'll go reach out to them and see if we could do something like, or maybe not even uh, DJ the MS Walk. Maybe we'll have like a booth or something. And then you could like spin there. I was like, okay, maybe I can do that. And then so we reached out to them and they're like, oh, we already have things in place. They had like a band or something, but maybe next year. So we kept in contact with them and... And then I and then and then COVID happened, and then I DJed uh, online, kind of for them. I did like a fundraiser. I just brought awareness to the MS Walk and streaming online. But then the the two years after that, I was able to uh, DJ at the MS Walk in person, and it's been such a, it's been so fun because 
um, that was, I was able to uh, connect with other organization, MS organizations. And if they were looking for a DJ, they, they would reach out to me. I did the dunk MS walk, which is so much fun. And I love that I'm able to, um, to share that my gift with other, with the MS community and people that are going through what I'm going through too. You said dunk MS walk? Dunk. Like, oh, like basketball okay. dunk. Yeah. Oh, so do they play basketball and, and walk or? They hold, it's a fundraiser. It's, uh, they have, they have a basketball clinic for kids to, uh, play basketball. And then they have professional dunkers put on a show. Oh, that's like a cool. half show, uh, dunking. And it's done at UCLA, my alma mater. So it was, it was, it was like so amazing that it was MS and it was at my, my old college and. And I got to DJ, so it was like, oh, this is so awesome. I mean, like, it was very meaningful for me, but being able to be to be a DJ in that way in in an event like that where it's so meaning meaningful and and purposeful in a bunch of different ways, as opposed to like going club being a club DJ and going club to club like that. It's I think I live for these kinds of events. Mm-hmm. And for others that want to maybe participate in an MS walk, um, do you have to be living with MS to do the walk? Can you also be like a supporter or a family member or a loved one? Yes, you could. If you want to support a loved one, it's open for you to walk. I think this is the time where... um, it's so inspirational. I remember uh, my first MS walk was the first time I saw other MSers in person. But then during that day, you see all of their friends and loved ones come out to support them. And they they wear their T-shirts, their team T-shirts, and they bring like banners. And it's just in. And then they, they have like these little... Um, these little signs of like who you're walking for and then you'll see like oh I'm walking for my mom and it's so it's so inspirational and it it just makes you feel like you're not alone and you see your support and the loved ones you have so it's always open to everybody even if you don't know and you want to if you want to experience it it's open to everybody and does it typically take place as at the same time every year, kind of like Pride or? Um, it, I think in different locations, they, they'll they have a certain date for their lo- location. I know in LA and Long Beach, it's usually around April, April mm. time. I think that's around the time where all the different locations will, will host their MS walk. But I know there's like other locations that do it later on in throughout the year but it's usually around april april is in the beginning or springtime cool <clears throat> being that we're a wellness podcast singa we typically like to ask our guests what their wellness routines and self-practice consist of now you've mentioned a few already you mentioned yoga uh you've mentioned you alluded to exercising in the morning 
Um, what does this look like and what does your own wellness routine and self-care practices look like outside of DJing? So I usually wake up early in the morning, early like 6.30, 6, 6.30, and I usually start off with um, my workout, my own workout. I have uh, an elliptical at home and a treadmill, but it's usually my elliptical where I'm able to get a sweat. I'm able to get my heart rate up to sweat without having to like, jog or anything so that's where a lot of my my it feels like I'm working out because I'm sweating starts and at that time kind of like yoga it's like moving meditation where I can I love that when I'm on my elliptical I could I could do it with my eyes closed and not have to worry about falling or chipping it's it's kind of like internal and then I can get lost in my music or Sometimes I'll I'll record my mixes so I can play it while I'm I'm exercising. <laughs> and that's like my me time of just like checking in with myself and getting my my body a little bit relaxed. And then I've done PT physical therapy everywhere and they've given me home exercise programs to do at home. So then I'll usually um check in my with my body and see what needs work like if I need if my if my ankle has a hard time lifting up I'll do strength and exercises on my ankle or if my back is having a hard time I'll work on my back so it's kind of like checking in on the elliptical and then figuring out what needs attention and then doing my PT exercises to to uh, counter all those symptoms do you do anything else for self-care? I oh I do yoga. I I love to create and I've tried to do I tried to do new new creative things. So I started crocheting to see if I liked it. I did like it. And then I did like mandala rock painting. I'm always trying to try new things to see to get that creative bug out out there outside of DJing so um and then also like working on my fine motor skills I noticed that my right arm gets very weak so being able to crochet or paint kind of helps me work on my fine motor skills nice as we begin to close how can our community find you if they have additional questions or would like to help support your journey Oh, I am on Instagram at underscore danga underscore dang. That's um, my main social media uh, platform that I use. I also am also on Facebook and TikTok. Same thing, underscore danga underscore dang. I also have a website, djdangadang.com. And I also have a SoundCloud same thing, underscore dinga, underscore ding, where I post all of a lot of my mixes and my music. Um, I I always think about how how others can help me, and and I I always say like moral support is the greatest way. It's a great way. It's a free way. But then I also for myself, 
and how I need support is like financial support just because I'm not working I'm on disability and and a lot of a lot of times I'll I'll ask my community if they wanted to do direct donations they could Venmo me and then I'll tell them where their donations go to if it's like for MRI costs or my health insurance premiums or I remember when I did um some people donated and I was able to get like handrails for my bathroom or like different things that I need. So there's always, um, they can donate to the National MS Society to help, to help us find a cure, to help, uh, to help with resources because I'm still able, I still reach out to the National MS Society to utilize whatever resources that I'm able to get. But then I'm also, I also take direct donations if friends want to to be able to help in that way to directly help an MS or they're they're able to do that at Venmo at Ding a Ding. So awesome. those are different ways to connect with me and support me. Any final words for our community before we close out? I I just want to thank you for letting me share my story and share my voice and to and for bringing more awareness to multiple sclerosis it especially with our our filipino community i i want to be able to share my story in hopes that others won't feel ashamed of not sharing their story or being transparent with their diagnosis and i want to thank you so much for having me on and listening. Thank you, Danga, uh, for talking to our community about your life as an MS warrior. We thank you for sharing your personal story with us to learn from as we continue to help you and our loved ones on their warrior path. We look forward to witnessing your journey unfold and are deeply appreciative for your willingness to be on our podcast as we close out 2023. And to our community... Our next and first episode of 2024 will be with astrologer and self-care practitioner, Marsha Pacificar. If you recall, we had Marsha when we first launched on Clubhouse, and we'll be inviting her back for a pre-recorded episode on self-care astrology. So what will 2024 look like for us? What should we pay attention to in the realm of self-care? We'll air this episode on Wellness Wednesday, January 17th. As we close, we'd like to acknowledge once again our guest speaker, Diane DJ Dangadang Palaganas, our graphic designer and beat maker for our opening and closing track, Richie, Ruby Abara for consent to use your track, A Thousand Cuts, featuring Anne One that you heard during our break. Our advisors, Allison De La Cruz, Riandelas Reyes, and Safo Tialogo. Our community partners is Filipino American Life, SoCal Filipinos, and Trek Table, and all of our community members for your shares and support. As always, we'll share more about our guest speakers' offerings on our Instagram stories and highlights for permanent access with any of their upcoming events. Be sure to follow us at Philippine X in Wellness on Instagram, Threads, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and on X at Philippine X, the letter N. Well, followed by the letters and an S. 
Don't forget to continue to hit like and subscribe on all our Philippine X and Wellness channels, including YouTube. Thank you always for believing in us. Be well, everyone. Continue to take care of yourself and each other. Happy yes. holiday. Happy holiday. Merry <laughs> Christmas and Happy New Year. <laughs> Have a good um, end of the year, everyone.